This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Futurati podcast. Any member of the Futurati is somebody who believes in the power of the future. We know there's a better world ahead, and we indeed have the power to make it so. In our podcast, we talk to the best minds in the world about the most urgent problems facing mankind today, and we hope you learn as much from them as we do. I'm Thomas Fry, a professional futurist and keynote speaker. And I'm Trent Fowler, a machine learning engineer and author. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati podcast. Tonight, Thomas and I are discussing the Great Resignation, a phenomenon in which millions of people are leaving their jobs, sometimes permanently, causing a great deal of chaos across labor markets and the wider economy. If you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our website, futuratipodcast.com. Thomas, how's it going? Ah, great. Um, you know, I've been thinking about quitting my job, but I, I'm my own employer, so it's just not going to work. That's right. So, um, you recently appeared on the, uh, what Manny Connell show, is that right? Right. Right. And you were talking about the great resignation. So I thought we could kick that around a little bit because I've read and heard in various news outlets that people are quitting their jobs in droves, but I guess I didn't realize the scale of the problem and some of the ramifications of it. So given that all of this is top of mind for you and you just published a, a, a column on it, I thought we could, uh, we could talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's such a fascinating topic because there's um, this, this affects virtually every sector of the economy and it's multiple reasons. I mean, the, the first reason is everybody's been sitting around for a long time in the COVID era, and they're asking themselves these questions. Do I still want to do this job? Am I, um, is this really my goal and purpose in life is to work as a waitress at, at um, the Cheesecake one, Factory? The, well, Cheesecake Factory or Applebee's or whatever. Right. And... And, and so a lot of them have come to the conclusion that ah, I need to make a change. I need to do something different. And this is a perfect opportunity to make a switch. So uh, they had a lot of uh, unemployment income coming in. And so that's given them a little bit of a cushion to make some other decisions. So what, what's actually happening is, is this is uh, breaking off in layers. There, there's uh, a group of people that are... Um, early retirees. So any of any of you that have um, been hearing the headlines about American Airlines canceling a ton of flights or Southwest Airlines canceling a ton of flights, now this is all a result of early uh, last year in April of 2020, um, the, the government gave them a lot of money to keep them alive. And uh, at, at the same time, they were looking at the airports, and the airports had just suddenly gone empty, and there were ghost towns. Right, and and so when you when you have uh, airports with nothing happening, and um, and you have a company that you're going to keep alive, um, 
a lot of them, well, all of the airlines resorted to offering early retirement for a lot of employees. And, and so over 30,000 pilots uh, jumped on the early retirement. And that has left the airlines with a huge shortage of pilots right now. Um, then another headline came out middle of last year that uh, over 39,000 employees for American Airlines accepted the early retirement. And so that was just for American Airlines. And, and so there's a, a huge shortage now that uh, travel has suddenly come back with a vengeance. Everybody wants to go traveling, but the airlines don't have the capacity to handle the crowds. So that strikes me as a remarkable failure of forecasting. So the, when the airlines absolutely yeah, when the airlines look into this, I mean, do you have any data on the projections they were making? Do they just look at this and think we are, you know, three years away from air travel resuming its pre-COVID rates, and they got that wrong? I mean, how, how did they mess this up so badly? Because in hindsight, it seems fairly ridiculous that they that they would let forty thousand pilots retire early and then now face this enormous glut. Well, if you were, if you were managing the airline, how many people would you want to keep on your payroll? I mean, that was the question that they were dealing with um, because they got this uh, chunk of money. I mean, it was, it was a ton of money that they got from uh, the government, but that wasn't going to keep them alive forever. So, so maybe it's early retirement was just the best of bad options. Like there's nothing else they could have done. Yeah, I, I think that's probably um, a good assessment there. Uh, they, they might have had other other options, um, but they never really thought through what it would take to staff back up again. Yeah, um, because it seems like once a person is in retirement and, and they think of themselves as being in retirement, getting them back out is a pretty yeah. major thing. Whereas if they temporarily go on unemployment or something, you just lay a bunch of them off, then yeah. offer them their jobs back in 14 months or 18 months. Right. I mean, maybe there's legal technicalities or reasons that was not the sensible option. But from this side of it, it looks like that would be better than allowing them to make that mental shift into retirement. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of people jumped on it just because, oh, I get to make a change in my life. Right. And, and I'm a retiree, so I still get flight benefits. So why would I want to go back to that job? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, like, as a retiree, that comes with a suite of benefits, which otherwise would not accrue to right. them. Or, right. or maybe it would. I, I have no idea if, if which is the case. Yeah, but that's just one industry. And if you, if you go through the list of all the other industries that were, uh, I, we don't need this many employees. We're going to have to cut back. Um, and whether it's a manufacturing company or whether it's janitorial company or whether it's uh, leasing offices, we're going to have to cut back. And then um, you have no idea what's going to happen 12 months down the road or 15 months right. down the road. Uh, there's no rule book for uh, a COVID event. We, we don't really have anything to look back on for that. And, uh, it's, and so we're, we're kind of making up the rules as we go, and we're making a lot of mistakes. Yeah, it seems that way. I, I did want to ask you about the breakdown by industry. So the example used at the top of the show was – a person who's a waitress, right, at the uh, at Applebee's, and, and reconsidering the position that they're in and the choices that have brought them there and wh- the trajectory of their life. But is that also true for white collar workers? I'm, I'm a data scientist, right, and I, I have not faced as much of that soul searching. And so I'm wondering if it's just people who kind of were unsure about the job they were doing in the first place, who are using this as the catalyst for a major life change, or if it's kind of everybody is doing this. Um. 
it, it's affecting virtually everybody. Um, but there's a recent survey by Monster.com. It's, I don't know, it's something like 90% of, of the entire workforce is considering on some level ch switching jobs. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with management. I mean, the person that you're reporting to, that direct line, for first line manager that you report to, um, boy, that's your entire world with that company. And, yeah, it really is. And, well, they say you don't quit jobs, you quit bosses. Right. And, and that is, um, uh, we're going to be making a switch. I mean, this, this whole idea of a career ladder, Gen X and Gen Z don't believe in that. Or Gen Y and Gen Z don't believe in that. That's, that's not a thing. Uh, and so the idea of sticking with the job till you work your way up the ladder, uh, not happening with this crowd. So, so the, the businesses are looking at how do we create a better experience? How do we offer a better benefits package? How do we, how do we just, how are we nicer to people when they, when they, cause every, everybody that works for you is going to have problems in their life. Right. So how do we make that, uh, so that your life isn't so, so that we don't complicate your life. <laughs> right. Well, it, it seems like that might create positive pressures in businesses to, better align their incentives to treat their employees better. And so th that, that could redound throughout business life in ways that are very positive. Right. Right. So it's, it's, how do we, uh, how do we reinvent the employee experience? Um, that I, I'm, I'm not sure what all components would go into that, but, um, uh, certainly flex time and, and, uh, whether or not you have to show up at the office, right. Um, I mean, showing up at the office, it's, it's a big issue because the average, on average, that freed up an extra 25 days a year for most people if they could work from home. Right. Um, that commute across town every day, ah, that was for the birds. Nobody wanted to do that. So, But how else will they listen to the Futurati podcast? That's uh, <laughs> the absolute best time well, on can, the way to work and on the way home. Yeah. Or they could go bike riding or work out at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> also great times to listen to the Futurati podcast. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like some of those trends are not driven pr only by the, the coronavirus pandemic. It, it sort of accelerated many of them. And this is a theme that we've touched on in, in prior podcasts as well, that one of the one of the silver linings amidst all the misery and suffering caused by the 2020 pandemic was the fact that it accelerated certain trends towards allowing workers to work from home to digitizing certain things like school where, where students are able to go uh, to attend classes at least partially online and in other words many changes that we all knew were on the horizon suddenly became of urgent uh, urgent requirement yeah the enrollment in colleges has plummeted uh they're at a 50-year low Really, in enrollment, yeah, dropped um, uh, six point five percent over the last year. Um, that doesn't sound huge. No, but it had dropped last year as well. So okay, so um, two years running. Yeah, and um, and there's a whole lot of people questioning the value of traditional colleges. Right. Um, well, and so that's another thing that's been kind of a long time coming. P people have been looking at the value add of a college education for quite yeah. some time and seeing that in many ways it just doesn't stack up. And so it, what I'm hearing you say is that COVID-19 has just pushed the gas on that trend as well. It has. It has. So in uh, August of this year, 4.3 million people just dropped out of the job market. One month, set a new record. 4.3 million people. Um, 
and any of those employers that were touched by that, um, they're they're looking around saying, "Oh, what the hell happened to all the workers here?" Right. Um, and and so, like Chick Fil A as an example, um, at least locally here, the Chick Fil A's don't open until ten o'clock in the morning. They're closing at eight o'clock at night. They don't have in-house dining at all, and it's it's all because they're short-staffed. Um, uh, I was talking talking to Dave Lauer today on the, on KOA Radio, and he was telling me that he went to the movies over the weekend. Um, and three o'clock in the afternoon, he walked into the movie theater. There's absolutely nobody there, so he just went to the movie. <laughs> he just <laughs> he didn't buy a ticket or anything. He just walked in. Yeah, and so then he then when he came out, he found <laughs> out that there was people there then, and he found out he's supposed to use one of the kiosks to buy the ticket. And uh, but there's there no were, signs. There, there was no, no signs, no directions, no nothing. Um, yeah, so w- we don't even know how t- how to uh, kind of operate in a short staff world. But but think about how this changes the way a business will operate in the future. Let's just take a hotel, for example. You go to a hotel. You don't need to go to a registration desk. You just go to a kiosk. You punch a few things in. It spits out a key and tells you what room you have. Um, that uh, uh, That's going to be much more common. Um, the the fast food industry, they're setting up ghost kitchens all over. They're in the form of like uh, shipping container kitchens that just drop off in front of a, um, in a large parking lot. And uh, they, they just need a minimum, minimal staff, maybe two or three people in there and they can, all the orders get called in and uh, people either stop by and pick it up or they, they deliver it. There's no in-house dining. And uh, these ghost kitchens are cropping up all over the place. So automation is another thing that's been accelerated by COVID-19. Yeah, automation is going to be huge. Um, so adding robots to things, I mean, it was already in the works, but this right. has speeded it up. Right. So having a, a robot that goes through a grocery store and does all the inventory of everything that's on the shelves. Um, and then it instantly alerts you, well, we need more of Uncle Ben's rice. Quick, put it out here. Um, all of these things are, are getting automated. Uh, the robots that are stacking products on the shelves, um, we're, we're seeing some pilot projects on that as well. Um, but uh, that's a little bit slower in coming because that's right. a much more complicated equation to solve. Right, yeah. R- robotics, it, it takes rather a lot more than people imagine to automate some of those jobs away. But it occurs to me that if millions of people leave their jobs and these businesses adapt by putting you know, automation in place, by figuring out how to work on shorter staffs, by just not allowing indoor dining or whatever, whatever the case may be, then people may find after they le- they've left their jobs and the economy has reconfigured itself that there aren't more jobs for them to go to. So do you think there's any possibility that this could turn into, it could go from millions of people quitting their jobs looking for something better to millions of people who don't have that much to do now. Um, well, well, let's, let's look at the, the layers of people that have been quitting. One, one of the layers is the early retirees. Right. So the, they're probably the, okay. It's the baby boomers and the Gen Xers are retiring early. Um, they're getting out of the workforce. They're clearing the way for uh, the younger crowd to take over. So we're, we have this new era of leadership coming in. They're going to make different decisions. Um, we have uh, the homeschooling crowd. Um, the homeschooling has gone up from uh, t- 
2.5 million to 3.7 million during COVID. Um, that means a 50% increase. That means 3.7 uh, million housewives generally uh, are staying home with their kids. They're, they're not going back to work. Uh, that's, a, that's a very big number. Um, we have um, the automation crowd, um, the, uh, the, the people that have decided to start their own business. 4.4 million startup businesses in uh, 2020. Uh, again, a new record. Right. Um, so people that, are, that were sitting around during COVID, I mean, I have a side hustle. Why don't I just do that? Right, right. Um, well, those sound like they might be largely positive trends, or at least uh, somewhat positive trends, right? So more people staying at home with the kids, if it's possible for them to work from home or, or for them to get by on one income, I think that would probably be positive. With the kids being homeschooled, I think that also would it largely be positive. And then more people starting side hustles, that could be a place for these you know millions of people to end up, is starting their own side hustles. And we interviewed Elaine Pofelt, who wrote a book on million-dollar one-person businesses, and it turns out that with the tools – that are available to modern entrepreneurs, you actually can get a lot of mileage out of one guy or girl, you know, running right. their business in, in their <laughs> in their working hours and can sometimes clear as much as a million or two or three million dollars worth of revenue in a year. Yeah, I, uh, we, we actually did a series of talks on this um, empire of one concept to the idea that you, yeah. uh, one person empire. Uh, that, was, that was several years ago. Um, this, this was, been a long time coming, but now it just seems that um, there's too many things mixed in this um, cauldron of soup, and we're we, we don't know what's going to come out of it. Or uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you, you know the government is is short staffed as well. Um, the police force uh, is feeling underloved right now, and they they're actually dropping out. There's a lot of healthcare workers that are dropping out because of uh, COVID vaccine requirements. Right. Um, military people dropping out. There's there's lots of people um, that that affects as well, and and so it's not just one thing. There's layers and layers of people quitting for various reasons. So, do you have any sense of where these people who've quit their jobs have ended up? You mentioned side hustles. You mentioned homeschooling. I mean, presumably when they quit, they weren't thinking, I'm going to stay at home with the kids now. They're, they're thinking, this is not really what I wanted to do. Now that I'm sitting at home for a year, I'm kind of reevaluating my life choices. Are there any businesses or sectors of the economy that have been bolstered as a result of this, with this like surfeit of labor in the, in the, in the broader economy? Um, that's a great question. I'm not, I'm, I'm not aware of any. So we um, haven't seen any industries that have like bounced back really dramatically as a result of this, right? Because I mean, I think before the show, before we started rolling, you mentioned something about um, uh, American Airlines, I think is is really looking to hire a lot of pilots. And so, you know, yeah, somebody's always kind of wanted to take to the skies and they've always kind of liked that idea. Now would be a great time to do it. So I would imagine yeah. the months and years in, ahead, some sectors will see kind of a bulge in the labor force as a result of the, the slack in the number of employees that they can pick from. Yeah, um, this this all kind of hit home when I was I was flying out a couple weeks ago, and I was sitting I was getting my shoes shined at uh, Denver Airport, <laughs> and I was sitting next to a United Airline pilot, 
And, uh, you know, I just looked over at him and says, well, what the hell happened to Southwest? And he says, well, <laughs> Was I this after they had, they had canceled a bunch of flights, Yeah, right? they had just canceled a whole bunch of flights over Labor Day weekend. And uh, he said, he says, well, I don't know any more than everybody else knows. But um, he's, he says, this is what happened. The industry as a whole offered early retirement to everybody. It says United actually had uh, younger uh, pilots, so they didn't offer it to as many people. Right, and uh, says it affected some of the other airlines much more. Um, so this is also giving rise to a demand for higher wages. You know, right. people are uh, holding out for more money, and uh, and and so this will probably stir up more union activity. Um, um, some people love the unions, some people dislike them, but. Uh, this is likely going to stir up much more activity in that space as well. So how do you negotiate a raise? Now's a good time to uh, talk to your boss. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So let, let me just see if I can't think through the logic. So on the one hand, we have lots of people leaving, right? Yeah. Which would incentivize bosses to try and raise the wages so that the remaining workers don't go anywhere, so that they're satisfied and that they can attract new talent. But on the other hand, it seems like there's a lot of people who are now available for work theoretically. And so I would imagine that that would put downward pressure on the wages. You know, because, I mean, if, if you've got thousands of people you can pick from, somebody will do the job for, you know, $70,000 a year. You don't have to pay this guy 90000 if that's what he wants. So right. do you have any thoughts on how those, those competing dynamics are playing out? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines right now. Um, are they going to return to the workforce? Um, we don't know. Um, some of them are, are waiting it out for a little while. I mean, they just want to take a break. Right. Um, they're, they're searching for something else. Um, they don't know what they're looking for. They'll, they'll know it when they see it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yes, so do they come back in the beginning of next year maybe? Um, is that when we see a new wave of, of people in the workforce? It's, it's hard to say. And if, if they don't return, should we open the floodgates to immigration? Uh, we want somebody to do the work. Right. Um, what, what's reasonable there? Uh, of course, that's going to be a uh, hugely political issue, naturally. Yeah, as so many things are. Uh, and I think that will vary by, by industry as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's just certain jobs that uh, for, for which there's a near infinite uh, talent pool among right. uh, immigrant workers or overseas workers and others for which there's not. So, I mean, construction kind of comes to mind. It's not that immigrants don't do construction. I mean, obviously they do. Hispanic workers do a lot of, of construction, but they have to actually be here in the country. Whereas quite a lot of software jobs and white collar jobs can be outsourced right. to the third world. And so you might see white collar workers who felt like they would always have a place in one of these industries yeah. uh, having quit and are holding out for higher wages. Now finding that those jobs are outsourced at last to places where you could get top notch talent for a lot less. Well, um, there's certain skills that are going to be in high demand. Mm -hmm. um, I've been asked by a client to give a talk on um, how to how to train rapidly train more AI engineers, um, and so the recent headline said that Japan is desperately in need of 290,000 more AI engineers. 290,000. I mean, it's a staggering number. I mean, if you think that. Japan needs that many, then Korea needs that many, Russia needs that many, U.S. Yeah. probably needs way more than that. And, and then you start going around the world, and 
uh, suddenly, wow, um, 290,000, we don't even have that many in the world right now. Yeah, probably <laughs> not. Well, so I would imagine that that might be a function of the fact that there, there's this really serious issue around declining populations in the East and that they need more robotics engineers and that they need new industries around right. robotic nurses, robotic hospice workers, things like that, which we, yeah, that's uh, a, that's uh, a pinch autonom- we don't fill. Autonomous transportation is a big one right now. Okay. That's, okay. that's what's really driving the need at the moment, but it's going to go off in a lot of other directions as well. But, um, uh, Japan is a big auto manufacturing country. Right. Uh, Korea is the U S is the, yeah, virtually every country has its own car. And so having, uh, people that know how to put together an, uh, an AI system, these things can drive on <laughs> right. that that's, uh, that's going to require a lot of work. And, um, and, and so, I, you know, I keep reminding people that the cars that we drive today have been in development for the past 120 years. And to think that we are suddenly going to invent a driverless car that's going to work perfectly the first time is, is totally unrealistic. We're going to go through a series of iterations of improvement on that, on those vehicles, because um, yeah, they're for some reason these driverless cars don't don't spot gray cats yeah. that are trying to cross the road or some fluky little thing like that. Well that, that's a data problem predominantly. So yeah. the the history of of these sorts of attempts is littered with stories just like that where you gather thousands of images to train an algorithm how to spot tanks in the underbrush or something like that and just because nobody thought or or it just it just was somebody your it was just your bad luck that all the pictures with tanks in them are on overcast days and all the pictures without tanks in them are not on overcast days. And and as a result, you get get an algorithm with like 98% accuracy that is completely useless. And this happens all the time. So, I mean, people underestimate the extent to which algorithmic problems are actually about the algorithms. The data sets are just as often a major hindrance and a major source of thorny problems to solve. Because getting it right, getting the right input data such that it generalizes to (laughs) all the scenarios you care about is an unbelievably non-trivial problem. Right. So this this is talking about the need for highly skilled people. Right. And um, we, we still have lots of medium skill and low skill jobs that are um, uh, kind of less appealing to people. Yeah. Um, so, so as an example, I mean, there was, there was a whole lot of people working as waitresses that had college degrees. Um, uh, work, working, some of them uh, even have PhDs uh, working as janitors. Uh, there's uh, some statistic out there that we in the U.S. we had over 5,000 janitors with PhDs. Wow, uh, way over over uh, over talented for that position. So um, this might be the the whole realignment of the skill sets of the world. Um, now, this is affecting the U.S. much more than it is other countries. Um, the COVID-19 fallout or the, the Great Resignation? The Great Resignation, yeah. Well, I hadn't even thought to ask about that. So, I mean, is, is the effect present at all in other countries, or, or is it just much worse here? Uh, we're, it's much worse here, but we're, uh, we're not hearing, I'm not seeing the stories in other countries. Okay. Um, so... Th- 
I, I, I'm pretty sure that, well, the other countries are lagging behind us. You know, they're, um, the, a lot of them over in Europe are still not opened up yet. Yeah. Uh, the countries. And so when they, when they finally open the doors and go back to work again, uh, they may end up with some of the same problems. Okay. So, so you think it's mostly just the lockdowns are more in force than the rest of the world. And it's not until those let up that you start to feel well, these ripples. Well, throughout the economy. Maybe, maybe. We, we don't know. Um, we should hire some futurists to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I'm scanning as much as I can for, for different data points, you know, that you try to, um, try to map these things out and, and you get two or three interesting data points. You can kind of paint a trajectory yeah. based on that. Um, so what are you it, seeing? What, what's the painting revealed? chaos right now a lot, <laughs> lot of chaos it's it's like, it's like a picasso painting <laughs> a lot of chaos or um jackson pollock right yeah so we're um uh, we're in uncharted territory um we, we've not tried to shut down the world before that's uh, true and it, it's like we've taken all of the issues the key issues in the world put them into this Yahtzee cup and we've shaken it up and dumped it down on the table and say, oh, this is what we got. Okay. Well, <laughs> so, what do you think are some of the biggest issues? So we've discussed the Great Resignation. That That's one that I don't think many people foresaw uh, in the cards because, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that there's been people who have rethought the decisions that led them to their career. But for it to be so staggering and for it to be concentrated, especially in the United States, I suspect took a lot of people by surprise. At least I don't know anybody who was saying in you know the beginning of 2020 that they thought this was going to happen. So wh what are some of the major issues that have kind of come out of this? Um, out of the great resignation or COVID? I mean, oh, just pick one. I don't know. We're, we're, yeah. This is a free form podcast, last minute kind of thing. <laughs> whichever, whichever direction you want to go. Um, yeah, there's, um, you know, in the great resignation, uh, businesses are no longer going to tolerate abusive customers. Um, in, in the past, we had this adage that we said that the customer is right. always right. Mm -hmm. And um, they're just not going to put up with that crap anymore. Um, because the, the people that are facing the customers should get some nasty, rude, um, belligerent person that is spitting while they're yelling at them. Right. And and they have a COVID shield in front of them, but they get spit all over it while they're listening to this person rant and rave. That That is not going to go over uh, well in the future. Uh, people are going to get banned. Um, they'll get kicked out of banks. They'll get kicked out of retail stores. They'll get kicked off the airlines permanently. Um, and, and so we're, we're going to set the bar higher. Uh, we're just not going to tolerate. Uh, and, and this has been driven... In, in my mind, it's been driven by the fact that we are all wearing masks, and that's very dehumanizing. You think so? I, I think that has a lot to do with it. It's a psychological effect. That's not a real person back there yeah. behind that mask. Um, is that driving the anger and the abusiveness, or is that driving the unwillingness to put up with the abuse? Uh, I think that's driving the anger. Okay. Um, yeah, the um, uh, it, it could be some of the other way around as well, but it, it just seems like... You know, you're you're willing to write a nasty email to somebody that you would never say that those same words in right. person, and it's um, you're detached from uh, the reality there. So, 
yeah, I, I think that that's, that's one key issue that we're going to be dealing with here. Um, I, I also think that this, this has kicked uh, technology into a whole new gear. Uh, some things are going slower, some things are going faster, some things are going a lot faster. And so we have lots of money sitting around on the sidelines. The, the whole crypto, crypto economy, I mean, it's freed up over $2 trillion worth of, of, of new money uh, that has gotten dumped into the economy. That's in addition to all the stimulus money that was out there. And so the investors um, have tons and tons of money and they're investing in such frivolous things as the NFT world. But uh, <laughs> Which has turned out quite well for some of them. Yeah. Uh, so there's too much money on the sidelines. So we're, we're seeing these companies that go public and they're not just unicorn companies, they are super unicorn companies. Right, right. They're just suddenly... Eye-watering evaluations. Yeah. Uh, tens of billions of dollars in valuation just created in two years. Uh, that uh, And, and we're, we're speeding all these things up now. Well, well, so what are some examples of industries that have slowed down? Because I'm not aware of any. I mostly focus on the ones that have sped up. Um, it would be the uh, oh, kind of the physical world stuff. Well, I mean, the supply chain is slowing a lot of things down. Oh, well, right that's now. true, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that is um, chaos, and it's unfolding in weird, different ways. Um, so the, the governor of Florida has, has opened up the ports and said that if they, if they can't handle all these ships in California, send them over to us. And it's just an easy trip around to Florida. They only have yeah. to go through the Panama Canal or something. Yeah, to that's get true. There. <laughs> yeah, do you have any thoughts on the supply chain issues? Because it's something that I see. I, mean, I see it in the form of Twitter hashtags that are trending, occasionally interviews with people I respect or people post things on LinkedIn. But I really haven't gotten that much into it, and I don't know much about what's going on with it. Something like 80,000 uh, drivers short in the trucking industry. So this is another consequence of the Great Resignation. It is. Um, yeah, uh, they don't have enough people to work on the docks. They don't have enough um, truckers. Uh, and I have mixed thoughts about that because they want to hire so many new truckers. I, I, I'm scared to death of truckers going through the mountains because it's yeah. like amateur hour up in the mountains with a, a rookie driver. You need to know <laughs> what you're doing. That, that's a dangerous job when the roads are safe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially if you got a real heavy load. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Is that is that like one of the one of the bigger uh, consequences of the Great Resignation in your mind? Right, right, um, and and so this is these things are unfolding in such unique, different ways. Now um, there is the autonomous trucking world that's right. catching on. We're seeing pilot projects run on this, and so very soon we're going to have lots of people who just um, uh, get on the road with their truck and they hit a hit the autopilot button and it just drive until they get to Atlanta or mm -hmm. they get to uh, Miami or wherever they're going and then they'll take it from there. Um, so th the, autonom the autonomous driving mechanisms uh, don't need to be that, uh, that well perfected if they're only driving on interstate. Right. Um, well, we interviewed Brad Templeton, right? And he's yeah. uh, not a skeptic of autonomous vehicles, but he tries to take a more sober view of them. And if I recall correctly, and this is just from memory, one of the things he said was along those exact lines, that 
it, it will not necessarily be the case that even with a great amount of automation, we will lose all those truckers because the last mile stuff is very involved and, and requires a great deal of sort of in the moment on the ground decision making about how, exactly how to back up and exactly which port to go to and following people who are giving you instructions, you have to change on the on the fly because right. all these bays are full or something like that. And so it may just be that you have the same number of truckers, but maybe they're not making as much money, they're not doing as many miles, or they're asleep for a lot of the interstate work or something like that. I, I don't know, but that that will be the dynamic yeah. that carries us forward. So the over-the-road trucker, it's an entirely different lifestyle. Right. Um, so people are gone. You know, they're on the road. Uh, there's a certain category of people that love doing that. Now, the other type of truckers, the delivery people, there's a huge demand for them. And, um, and so all the Amazon delivery, the, the post office delivery, the uh, FedEx and UPS delivery guys, uh, they're all working overtime, uh, as many hours as they want. And uh, they're doing quite well. But uh, that's a different kind of trucker, and that's not going to get as automated as quickly. I would quickly. think so, no. That, like the street-level, house-level yeah. navigation still just requires a human touch. Right, right. And probably will for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so so this is, um, I mean, the, the whole supply chain stuff, it's, it's affecting the world in so many different ways. Um, and how, how do we get it back to normal? Well, there's a lot of people taking a serious look to that at that they're not coming up with great great options what are your thoughts thomas as a futurist <laughs> and co-host of the renowned futurati podcast what are your thoughts on how we can get the supply chain back to normal well i think that we're going to see a realignment of of salaries and um you know keep key people in key positions um I, I actually think that we're we're going to look at opening the floodgates of um, of immigrants coming into the country. Um, there's there's a lot of people that would love to come if they if they could, um, and and so it's it's going to be messy though. I th I think we we have even with some of the best planning people around sitting around the table. I'm thinking this is bare minimum, another year of, of messed up supply chains. Yeah. And then I want to talk more about this great alignment or a great realignment rather. So we've discussed how people are leaving their jobs, how they're rethinking their decisions, how they're fighting for more money. Maybe there'll be automation. Maybe there'll be a, a, additional immigration. What is the configuration of the economy going forward as it sort of internalizes the lessons of COVID-19 and we kind of move forward with, with, what we've learned there, uh, like more entrepreneurs, uh, more creative types. Do you think people will sp take longer to pick a yeah. job because it, it has to be more meaningful? Will they focus more on those things? Maybe they don't hold out on salaries as much. Maybe it's okay to take a lower salary to do something they really care about because life's so short and they could yeah. die of COVID. You know, yeah. what, do you, what do you think? So it looks, it looks to me like we're, we're moving into much more of a freelance uh, society. Right. Um, and that if you look at the way the movie industry has worked for years, is that every movie project will bring in um, actors and actresses, makeup people, camera guys, lighting guys, script writers, all of these people. They'll work on this project, and as soon as it's over, they'll dissipate and move on to other projects. It's very organic in nature. And uh, so having a business that you can bring in freelancers whenever you need it, that's probably much more realistic. Um, 
so rather than hiring a full-time person, you just need somebody for two months or two weeks, two days, or even two hours. Um, that's the, the type of um, uh, kind of realignment I think we're headed towards. Um, and we don't, we don't have the tools for um, know, listing two-hour gigs for somebody to come in and do. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to have that level of precision. The spot markets the are not very efficient, I wouldn't think. Right, right. Um, so, so that that type of thinking, um, you know, I, I think about the real estate industry quite a bit because uh, suddenly people that were forced to to work from home, um, they were also forced to have their kids go to school at home. Right. They, had, they had to uh, do their work and live at home, and, and suddenly their homes weren't big enough. They just they needed more space. And there's a whole lot more money floating around, so then people decide, well, let's we need a bigger house, and so there's this um, kind of this square footage expansion going on right now. People buying bigger houses, and they're they can't build them fast enough. Um, so that's that's an interesting pho phenomenon. But if you look at the office uh, market, the the offices are sitting empty. Uh, nobody wants to go back to work again uh, in an office. And so what are these going to turn into in the future? Um, we, we don't know if, if uh, real estate or the uh, retail is going to come back uh, in the same fashion it was because we can buy so many things online, and that's eating away at the profits of the big storefronts. Yeah. Um, so what does that look like in the future? Uh, people don't want to just go and buy a product off the shelf they want um they want an experience they want something more if they're going to make a trip to a store uh so what is something more that you could have there um, i want a live show yeah i want catered meals like if i'm actually going to physically walk into the store Ro then ro I, I robotic the robotic mannequins that are <laughs> dancing around that <laughs> displaying the clothes um i think have a, a great potential uh, I, uh, and I, and I'm, I'm not joking about that either. I think that that's something that'll be coming somewhere along the way. Right. Well, so one of the things that I suspect is here to stay is this increased reliance on delivery services. So right. we order from Costco. Now we order over Instacart from all sorts of places. We order food delivered all the time. And that was a necessity throughout 2020, but now it's just this enormous convenience. And what I, what it sounds like you're saying is that in that world, going to a store for something becomes not special precisely, but it's not as, as mundane as it once was. Like yeah. in 2019, I went to the store all the time for everything. That was the only way I could get goods and services was by physically being there. Since that's not the case anymore, there's now more pressure on people to get bodies in the door by having robot mannequins or, or what have you. Yeah, but there's a, uh, we, we used retail for entertainment purposes as well. Yeah. Um, we wanted to go do something with our friends. We'd go to the store or we go to a mall or we, True, yeah. yeah, and so, um, but there's so many things now that you, uh, the same type of entertainment you can get on, on in your house, uh, online. Well, and browsing Amazon with your friends at home doesn't quite yeah. scratch the same itch. Yeah, but you're not going to get robotic mannequins at home. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you can get all... <laughs> yeah. I'm not so sure that's true, actually. 
Uh, okay, so the robotic mannequins, I think, are going to actually try to make eye contact with people. Um, and they're, they're going to be able to tell who, who's interested and who isn't yeah. based on facial expressions. Right. Affective and, computing. Yeah. And so these robotic mannequins are going to have the ability to actually morph. They're going to be able to change the size and shape. And so suddenly they start looking like the person that's looking at them. Interesting. And, and uh, this is probably several iterations of change down the road <laughs> well, here. Well, with those 290,000 artificial intelligence engineers that Japan's going to bring <laughs> online, I think they could probably knock this out. Yeah. So, so then um, – and then the each mannequin gets rated on its ability to to make sales. Yeah, I mean, if it has the ability to mesmerize a certain group in the audience, and it's constantly morphing and shifting its shape, and then suddenly it's getting people to just click the buy button, just kind of robotically because they're so mesmerized by it. Um, that's the kind of thing I think we'll see in the future. So it's ad tech in real life. <laughs> You're just followed around by these walking advertisements that kind of mimic your body language and what you look like. It, was, yeah. it seems like that there'd be kind of an uncanny valley effect. And I could be wrong about this because people have assimilated really huge and shocking changes in lots of ways. Humans are really adaptable. But it's just to me, listening to you describe it, it's, there'd be something vaguely creepy about looking across the store and making eye contact with a robot that then kind of shifts so it looks a little bit more like me. I, just, I think I would find that unsettling. Yeah, like the jealous husband shows up and shoots it. <laughs> well, that, that could happen too, I suppose, yeah. Well, but that would be a different thing. That would be the robot looking like what it thought the person was attracted to. And, and that, yes, that could be highly problematic. But what I thought you were saying is that it, it would it would work to look more like you. Yeah, Because right. you know, people tend to like people that are sort of similar to them. It's a, yeah. a noted phenomenon in psychology. Yeah, I think that would be a lot more problematic if it's like forecasting what you like and then turning into like the woman that it thinks you want or the man it thinks you want. And if, and if that looks nothing like your husband, then yeah, I could see that being kind of problematic. <laughs> yeah, then it would get mowed down a, a lot of them. <laughs> possibly yeah possibly yeah uh, yeah but getting creative i mean this idea of how do we create an experience in a retail setting how do we make it so that um uh, this is new and different right i mean i i was walking up and down pearl street on saturday and there was an acapella group out there there's like 16 people in this acapella group and that was unique and different. It was they were quite good actually. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, what do we what do we do in the retail settings to to make it entertaining so that any time of the day you can just walk in and something happens? <laughs> I have uh, no idea. What are what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, Acapella I, groups, good start. Well. I, I had talked about this this concept, what I referred to as slash casters. I mean, this is um, uh, like a live auction thing. It's it's like, like the blue light special that they used to have at Kmart years and years ago that um, they, they announce things. And only with the slash casters, this is like a live person, like a DJ or something that is suddenly slashing prices on different items oh, I to get people okay. to buy it, um, just to draw attention to this product. And, um, and, and it's, it becomes an exciting thing. So you can bid, bid on things. You can, um, I don't know, maybe there's drawings for different things. Like a flash sale with a DJ. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So how do you make that entertaining? Well, I guess there's a couple different ways. You could have robots do it. That'd be a lot of fun. You know, the, yeah. the morphing robots when we're five or six iterations down the line. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, or, but I, I would imagine that people would just find the the appeal of randomly getting things for a lot less than they thought they were going to spend on them uh, might be a draw as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they walk, walk out of the store with something they never intended to buy. Well, it's never happened before. <laughs> uh, or there, there could be like an AR VR layer on top of it, or they could be shopping oh, yeah. in the metaverse as well. Right. Right. Um, you could, you could discount something and make it an NFT. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I've talked, I've <laughs> talked about the idea of, um, of, of having joke offs. Uh, a joke off is, uh, you're, you're telling a joke and a robot's telling a joke and who, whoever gets the biggest applause wins. Oh, that's, it's going to be a remarkable day when humans start losing <laughs> at, at humor for sure. Oh, there's some really bad joke tellers. So, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess robots could, like the AI could just have a, a bank of jokes. Like it, it could yeah. just read them off the internet, or it could be trained on um, history's greatest smart asses. You know, um, Norm Macdonald, he just passed away recently. He'd he'd be a good one to yeah. feed into an algorithm to see how his jokes come out. Yeah, um, but but I think some really creative people are going to look at this problem. How do we make retail much more entertaining? Um, and uh, uh, there's a there's a demand for it. I mean, there, there are people willing to pay for it. There, um, um, so so what is that going to look like? And and then plus you couple that with lots of empty big box stores out there that um, have just gone out of business. And so what do we do with all this real estate? So when you're imagining retail, are you imagining going to King Supers and being entertained? Because retail means a lot of things. You'd be shopping with your friends where I would expect a lot of entertainment. But it's hard for me to imagine that just going and getting oranges, you know, and milk is ever going to be just an un, like a, a kaleidoscope of entertaining events. Yeah. Um, it, it might come down to something like that. I mean, I have gone into the grocery store and they, uh, they had a person that was dipping strawberries into chocolate and uh, turning them out. into strawberry bouquets that they were giving out for uh, Valentine's Day. Um, something like that's new and unusual. But I mean, if you go into, well, two years ago, if you'd go into a Sam's or a Costco, you'd have all the samples you could try. That's true. Um, that That's was, true. that was pretty entertaining as well. Um, oh, they just gonna have buskers in there playing guitars and f fire twirlers and yeah. knife eaters and stuff like that. I mean, you gotta do something to get people in there. Right. 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 Um, that's what's so fascinating about the Pearl street mall. I mean, lots of other cities have tried something like that and it's never worked. Um, Boulder for some reason has the right confluence of ingredients to make that come to life and uh and so it draws in all the buskers and in you know i i sit down and talk to some of the the street performers and ask them uh well why keep coming back right and, and they they will say that well this looks like a 40 dollar crowd or this is an 80 dollar crowd oh that's interesting and they have and a so, sense for how much yeah how they, much they'll get yeah and and they um, they have these unwritten rules as to what time slots they have. Oh, wow. Um, because there's only so many spots on Pearl Street where you can perform and not interfere with somebody else. Right. Uh, so 
yeah, they all know where the key spots are. They know where to draw the crowd. And they are really quite adept at uh, uh, making people stop and pay attention. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, we've actually had some of the buskers on Pearl Street come and speak at our events. Really? Yeah. Which is Really? We had the, the zip code man come in. Who's the zip code man? Uh, David Ross Steicher. Um, and he's on Pearl Street quite a bit. If you, um, if you give him a, a, let's see, how do you do it? You give him a zip code, and then he'll tell you what city that is in the United States. So he just knows all the zip codes, and he makes a living entertaining people with his zip code knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? That's pretty uh, remarkable. Like, yeah, does he do pretty well? I mean, like, oh, he what, does. What? He does really well. <laughs> he, he says he says that there's, um, I, th- I think the numbers were that there's 53,000 zip codes in the U.S., and he has about 46,000 down. So, wow. So he's close. Just can't quite get that last. <laughs> oh. Now that's a job that's going to be automated away. Yeah. Yeah, so he's he's one of these weird um, memory guys. So <laughs> that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, so I wonder what the future of that that kind of job is going to be. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, th- th- you're impressing people with your intellectual prowess. Um, I I have no idea actually. Yeah. Well, there there are those that speculate that some jobs people will always prefer to have done by a, a person. You know, like even if machines can do it better, there's just sometimes you want the human touch. Like you just rather interact with a human and know that it's a human being you're interacting with. And buskers could fill that role. I mean, we all have YouTube yeah. in our phones, right? We can watch people perform. It's like Peter yeah. Frampton, Jimi Hendrix, anybody you want to, right? But there's just something kind of neat about live music. And right. I, I assume that they'll always want it to be human beings doing that, that you will not get the same satisfaction from the endlessly morphing robot up there. That's trying to forecast the things that you want to see. Yeah. So the, um, there, there's a, uh, I had this question for my wife a few years back. We, we'd gone to a sushi restaurant and I, uh, I asked her afterwards, I said, would you, would you rather have uh, a human uh, sushi set chef, right. or would you rather have a robotic sushi, sushi chef? Uh, I can't I can't pronounce those sushi words. Sushi chef, <laughs> and um, and she she thought about it for a while, and she said, you know, I'd probably uh, prefer the imperfections in the food, so I'd rather have a human do it. Right. Um, you know, if you had a robot doing it, then it's it's um, it's perfect every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pizza Hut found out about that they they actually are are baking pizzas that have bubbles in them because uh, people prefer the imperfection. People of, like the personality yeah. of the bubbly pizza. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, there's some randomness baked into it. So uh, which which is which is really weird. But uh, I think that uh, there's. It's it's not an either or situation. All of these things have have evolved into a both and. Um, so yeah. we're, we don't just want one over the other. We, we're going to want both. <clears throat> Are we going to want to see um, uh, robotic uh, robots playing football? Um, some people will. Are we still going to want to see humans playing robot or playing football? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So then, we'll, we'll that'll open the door for both of them to to happen, um, and and things don't don't ever seem to completely go away. 
uh, they get minimized, and there, there's always some quirky niche group out there that hangs on to the old things. That maintains it? Right. Yeah. Keeps that fire alive. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's an old group out there that just still using dial telephones <laughs> for whatever the hell reason. I, I don't even know who you'd call. Well, I guess it would still connect to the lines, right? Or does it? I mean, the, the infrastructure, would it not? Everything goes through cell towers now, so who would you call on the dial on the turn dial phone like, could you call a cell phone on a turn dial phone i think so could you yeah. yeah is it all the same i mean maybe it is i have no idea yeah it's I, all the same infrastructure i i i'm i'm thinking that it's all backwardly compatible all the software that they <laughs> that i would be amazed if that were true but like backward compatibility it, it is it's a real challenge to keep all the pieces talking to each other through decades of iteration, I would be amazed if it were true we're all backwardly compatible. Some of it may be, but I bet not all of it is. Yeah. So when I was programming years ago at IBM, uh, they always told us to, there are certain sections of the code you just don't mess with. Yeah, we don't, yeah exactly. We don't really know what's in there. Yeah. <laughs> but you just don't want to mess with that um, because there's some code that they put in on uh, the uh, IBM 360 computer back in 1960 when right, it first right. came out. And everyone who knows how to code it is dead and has been for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And it was written in COBOL. Yeah. Uh, early COBOL. Right. The prehistoric COBOL. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, those uh, – and my my sense is, is that um, there's lots of code that's buried deep in the bowels of these computers. Um there are quite a few companies that have gone through and and just kind of started from scratch and recoded everything. Yeah, um, that's also hard to do though. The systems is. depend on each other in really fragile ways. I mean, a whole grid could go down if you don't know what yeah. you're deleting and getting rid of. Yeah. So if you see pictures of the power lines over in India, you see these this nasty <laughs> right. knot of wires all around this pole and everything and. And the reason for that, as I thought through that, the, the reason for that is, is somebody's told to go install a new line. They're, they're not told that they have to disconnect the old line or anything. And so nobody knows what these other lines are good for. They're not being paid to sort through and clean up all the right, lines. Right, exactly. And so they just add a new line, and they add a new line, and they add a new line, and suddenly you have you know 5,000 new lines going into this one building. Um, and it looks pretty, pretty bad. Actually. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, a surprising amount of the world. Yeah, is nothing more than that. Yeah. So then, it takes um, kind of this wholesale effort of just, I mean, scraping the entire block and starting over. Right. Um, and um, unless they have some sort of a, a master developer plan to go in there and clean it all up, it's just not going to happen. Well. That sounds like a sort of strange tangential note to end on. Do you have any other uh, thoughts for us before we close out? Yeah, um, yeah. That okay. My 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 latest quote is that. <laughs> Let's hear it. Give it to it, us. Perfection is a very imperfect concept. Uh, there it is. That's, that's all. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll, we'll leave you with that head scratcher. Thanks for listening to us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.